you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message.
wife looked at me and said, did you know that this church began as a house prayer meeting? There's something special about it, and I believe God's trying to bring revival through a house prayer meeting. Amen. Amen. My goal today, by the help of the Lord, is to bridge the gap between the generations this morning. If you're new around here, you're going to hear some things that you maybe never heard before. If you've been around for a long time, I may stir up some memories this morning as we're going to do our best today to bridge the generational gap. I do believe that more than ever before we need to become better at being a generational church to where the older are teaching the younger and we give space for the younger to be able to minister and to work and to develop the elders have to teach the younger we can't complain about what they're doing if we're not there teaching them if we don't show them how to worship don't complain that they're not worshiping You can be seated this morning. I have on this platform today some important pieces of our heritage. The shoes of our late bishop. After his passing, I asked for those shoes because I thought this day may come where we could be reminded of his and on this platform today, I have the chair that he sat in on Delphi Avenue. Many of you may remember the old brown chairs. As in those days, all the ministers sat on the platform and stared back at the church. If you didn't worship, they'd just look at you. And if the kids got all out of sorts, they would just look at you. And if you got real out of sorts, they would have pointed at you. And if you had to come off the platform, you were in trouble. I'm preaching today from the last pulpit that our late bishop preached in. This isn't a memorial service today. This is a generational service today. And today I walked onto this platform and carried the Bible, an old worn-out Bible that's hardly held together, my dad's old Bible, the earliest of my memory him preaching from this Bible. Now, I understand that this may seem insignificant to some of you, but for others we understand the importance of our heritage. On this platform beside me this morning is a picture that hangs in my office. This picture was taken in 1926. It was the 17th annual convention of Christ's Temple in Indianapolis. That church in those days was pastored by the late G.T. Haywood. You have heard us mention him because we sing many of the songs that he wrote, some of them over a hundred years ago. Friday night, our choir sang a medley comprised of Bishop G.T. Haywood's songs. I see a crimson stream of blood. I've been baptized in his name. 
The uncommon occurrence depicted in this picture is the mix of white and black that are gathered during a time of extreme segregation. Among those whites are relatives of my wife's family. If you'll stay with me for a moment as I unveil some history, we will go somewhere today before we're done. In 1914, the late Leo Gill, a distant relative of my wife, became the first pastor of Zion Tabernacle. Now pastored by my friend and associate, Pastor Jorge Oriana, a wonderful man of God. Brother Gill was the great-grandfather of Brother Oriana's wife, Sister Jessica Oriana. Now, if you put that together, several generations later, two pastor's wives end up in the same town, both involved in leading apostolic congregations that are preaching the same truth. Pastor Oriana shared with me that after G.T. Haywood's baptism in Jesus' name in 1915, he wrote a letter to Brother Gill telling him that he had baptized Brother Gill erroneously. I tried to get a copy of the letter but started too late. I do have a video that I am not going to take the time to share today because I just had to cut a few things because I may preach a little while today. Bishop G.T. Haywood told Brother Gill, I have baptized you erroneously and I want you to come back down to Indianapolis and I want to show you in Scripture where there is a need for you to be rebaptized in Jesus' name. And Brother Gill went down and searched the scriptures with Brother Haywood and was rebaptized in Jesus' name and came home and baptized everybody. And ever since, that church has been baptizing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our heritage. It's significant to us because in 1965, this church came out of that church. In the 1930s, Bishop Price's father, Sherman Price, allowed an African-American evangelist from Indianapolis that came from G.T. Haywood's church to stay in a spare bedroom of his home while preaching a tent revival for Pastor Adkins, the pastor of Zion at that time. When he went to work on Monday, my wife's great-grandfather lost his high-paying job and was demoted. His family then lived in poverty because he chose to perpetuate this wonderful truth. And some of us think we have it so bad. This is the price that some of our elders paid for you and I to be here today and have this wonderful truth. 
Pastor, why in the world are you bringing some of this old church history on this conference morning? Because I believe that there's some things that are too important to ever forget. And I want my kids and grandkids and every young person and every student in this church today to know that we didn't just show up one day to a beautiful building and a great campus and wonderful music and padded pews and a warm building, but there were some people that sacrificed to get us to where we are. This is our heritage. What are we going to do with what has been given to us? Joel prophesied of a time when our sons and our daughters would prophesy, he said, young men would see visions and old men would dream dreams. I believe today that this is that day. We are living in that day. This is the day that the dreams of our elders are becoming the vision of young men. I've I've been blessed to grow up in this wonderful truth. I, I grew up in a pastor's home which gave me opportunity to learn early about the heart and passion of men from past generations that many, for the most part, have passed on. Prayer, fasting, submission, faithfulness. I've never known a time when so many young men and young women are so passionately seeking the anointing of God and the power and the authority of our elders. All oh, summer saying, I don't like where the church is going, but I believe today that the church is in good hands. I thank God that our students are not sitting on the back row in these last days. Yes. But I've also noticed that there seems to be a greater distance between those who want the mantles of past generations and those who want to be left alone while they coast their way through life hoping to make it to the city. Nothing replaces passion for the things of God. I'm going to say it again. Nothing replaces a passion for the things of God. It doesn't matter what you try to put in its place. Nothing replaces the passion for the things of God. The prophet Jeremiah said, Ask for the old paths. Wherein is the good way? But even in Jeremiah's day, he said, But there will be some who refuse to walk in that old path. Young people, young adults, whomever you may be in this room today, young married and middle-agers alike, if you have an apostolic elder in your life, you should cherish every moment that you can spend with them and be around them. If you don't have an elder in your life, you need to establish an elder in your life. If you don't have a father that brought this truth to you and raised you up in this truth, you need to find a father in the kingdom of God and say, come on, you've you got to be my spiritual father. I need somebody that's going to lead me to the path of truth and righteousness. The term elder is not always a mark of age, although it can be. 
but a spiritual elder is one who knows about the secret place of the Almighty. An elder knows what it's like to live by faith and to walk in the Spirit. An elder is one that has been down the road before you and has some experiences that you can learn from. Everybody needs an elder in your life. Everybody needs somebody that has walked down the road in front of you in your life. You don't only need them when you're in trouble, but you need an elder praying for you. You need an elder investing in you. Come on, elders. I need a little support. I'm not hearing any. If you're not talking back, don't expect the kids to talk back. Come on now. I need some elders to lift up your voice and give me a good strong amen this morning. I'm preaching in your favor today. You don't just need an elder when you're in trouble, but you need an elder praying for you. You need an elder investing in you. You need their wisdom. They can be a well that you can draw right perspective from. You ought to never make a decision before you sit down with an elder. Don't discount your mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and the elders in this church that speak into your life. Don't ever discount them. There is value. There is a well of wisdom. You need to listen to them. They don't have to be aged and gray-haired like your pastor, but you need to listen to them because they'll show you the way of truth and give you a perspective that will help you on your path. Some of our elders who have passed on are still speaking. They speak to us by their life and by their example that they left for us. They speak to us of faithfulness. They speak of sacrifice. They show us the old path. I'm going to tell you that when I, when I was a young man, I emulated everything that I could possibly from my pastor and every great preacher that I had access to. I wanted to learn to talk like them. I tried to wear suits that looked like something they would wear. I, I tried to preach like them. Oh, I know, I know I failed miserably, but I was doing my best to emulate my elders because I esteemed them. I lifted them up. I didn't question them, and I certainly didn't attempt to correct them. I esteemed them as a man of God in my life. I was submitted to them. Whatever they told me to do, I was going to do it. If they hinted that they thought it was something that I ought to do, that's exactly what I did. I esteemed them. I elevated them. I, I considered it an honor to be able to sit across the table from them and hear their stories. And as they grew older and as I grew older, Sometimes some of those stories seem like they're on repeat. And I've seen some in my generation that roll their eyes when the elder starts telling the same story over and over again. Don't ever roll your eyes because the elder's telling you a story. It may not be because they forgot they told you. It may be that you didn't get it the first time and they're telling you again, trying to get you to pick up something that they're trying to tell you in that story. Come on, we need to see the old path. We need to seek the old path. I didn't understand everything they said to me, but I wanted that mantle that they carried. I wanted to be able to say that's part of who I am. 
And when I look at my life today, I feel like my ministry and my life is a patchwork. The mantle I carry today is a patchwork of the men and women that invested in my ministry, invested in my life. When I went to talk to my pastor, Brother Huey Royer was my pastor for about four years of my life. When I went to talk to him about my calling, he said, son, from this moment forward, there must be a change in every aspect of your life. I want you to understand, this is what he said to me the very first time I walked in. I was dating his daughter, and I know this is public and on air, but we're all old enough now to be able to talk about it. <laughs> I was dating his daughter. I think when I asked to meet with him, he might have thought I was going to ask him to come and see me. And I walked in to his office, and he had his back turned to me. It wasn't like him. He was fumbling through his book. Some of you need to look at him. He kept his back to me, fumbling through his book. He was probably as nervous as I was because I think I knew what was going to be in my life. And I walked in, and I was trying to find the words. And he said, what you need? And I was trying to find the words to be able to speak. And I was, I was, I was crying, and I, I, I don't know, I probably, I imagine my eyes was this big, my hair was standing straight out on its ends. I was so nervous, I couldn't hardly utter a word. I had tears streaming down my face and I, I, when, when I began to talk to him. And I said, Pastor, I feel like the Lord is calling me to pulpit ministry. I was 19 years old. I felt a call to preach when I was 13, but I never had the confidence to be able to declare that call. 19 years old, I mustered the courage barely to walk into my pastor's office. I know some of you meet me now and think I've always been where I am right now. No, the Lord's had to do a lot of work in me. My pastor looked at me and said, son, I've known you've had a call on your life for a long time. I didn't think you were going to ever acknowledge the call of God. I could see the relief on him then at that point. And he sat down and began to look at me, and he said, everything in your life is about to change. I want you to understand from this point, point forward, everything in your life is about to change. He said, you're never going to fit in to the crowd. I want to speak to every young person, every young minister, and every minister that is still aspiring to grow. I want to tell you, if you're not fitting into the crowd, you may be in good company. He said, I want to tell you, you're never going to fit into the crowd because you're not average. You're not run-of-the-mill. That means everywhere you go, you have to remember this. I am a preacher. I am a man of God. He said, I want you to learn to carry your Bible like a preacher. I don't know what all that meant at that point. He said, I want you to walk like a preacher, act like a preacher, talk like a preacher, have a conversation like a preacher, use language like a preacher, and I want you to pray like a preacher. I was trying to take it all in as fast as I could. From that day forward, he said, you're to sit on the front row. Well, I already was, but he said, you don't have an option to ever sit anywhere else. I want you on the front row. I want you to watch every move that every preacher in this pulpit makes. I want you to be the preacher's biggest supporter. I want you to shout amen when somebody else is in the pulpit, and I want you to work the altars when somebody else is preaching. He said, by acknowledging the call to ministry, you're giving giving up your ability to ever be ordinary again. He said you're going to fight discouragement and you're going to do it alone because you're not going to let anybody around you know the 
because you're going to notify your face that you are a man of God and you don't have the luxury of letting your attitude and spirit that is down to show to everybody around you. He told me at that time, he said, you are responsible for your face. Put a smile on your face. Learn to be able to serve the Lord with gladness. And not and quitting is not an option. He said, you no longer have the right to live offended. You no longer have a right to show a bad attitude when somebody hurts your feelings. you got to get up, pull yourself up in his words, by your bootstraps, whatever that means. View whatever happens to you in comparison of the cost of Calvary. Bishop Price just said it like this. Boy, you need to grow thick skin because offenses are going to come. Getting offended by every little thing that is said to you is not an option. Then he looked at me and he said, and I give you about two weeks to sell that midnight blue 1982 Camaro IROC G28 T-top that I had paid for with my own money. Didn't have a payment on high performance, got two speeding tickets two Friday nights in a row. I didn't understand it. He said, I want you to sell that car and I want you to get something more conservative that looks like a young evangelist would drive. Nobody wants to see the young evangelist pulling up in an IROC Z telling all their young people, let's go for a race. He said, you need to get something more conservative. In two weeks, the car was, was sold. I got a Cutlass Supreme, and I drove it to church, and he smiled and said, good job. I had a choice to make. I could have refused. I could have gotten upset. I could have questioned him. I could have shown my resistance. I could have told him that I'll take that under advisement. But I understand now that he was testing my level of submission right off the start. He was checking my spirit. But I wanted the old mantle that he carried. I wanted his blessing and his approval in my life. I wanted ministry more than I wanted anything in this world. He told me I should be the first one in the prayer room, and I was. He said I should be the first one in the altar, and I was. He said I should be the loudest person heard in the room, and I was. And he told me I should be the first one to volunteer for whatever needed to be done, and I was because I wanted his approval in my life. I watched everything he did. I tried my best to one of the greatest Bible teachers I've ever known. Then when I would stand in the pulpit and preach, in my early years of ministry, I would hear the words of my old pastor. I would hear the words of my father. I would be preaching and say that was my dad. I would be preaching and feel like my, that was my pastor. It's the patchwork that God was creating. <coughs> he was forming me. He was shaping my ministry. He was shaping my life. He was making me who I needed to be. He was working on me. I watched everything he did. 
I tried to emulate him. When I would stand in the pulpit and preach, sometimes I would stand. I would even stand like my old pastor. I would try to talk like him and speak like him. Sometimes I would envision and study what he would say and just how he would say it. I grabbed a hold of that matter. Later in my ministry, I was, I was in a different spot in ministry. It didn't change. I went to Calvary Tabernacle, sat under one of the greatest preachers of all time. Brother Mooney would stand in the pulpit and preach. I watched how he moved. I watched how he walked. I watched how he preached. I tried to preach like him and failed. I tried to do but whatever it was. I looked at him. I honored him. I esteemed him because I was grabbing a hold of patchworks and pieces of that mantle. I was picking up this from him and this from that. It hasn't been easy, but anything that worth having is worth fighting for. And I've said i got to carve out a ministry. Nobody came alongside me, picked me up, and... And, and, and spoon-fed a ministry to me. Nobody set me on a silver, at, at a table and fed me from a silver platter, but I had to work it out. I had to climb up the rough side of the mountain, but I stand here this morning as a pastor of this church telling you, I have no regrets. I have no regrets. You know why? Because if it's handed to you easy, you'll let it go easy. But I'm rock, I am rock solid in this truth. I've made up my mind. I'm not moving to the left or the right. I'm staying the course. <coughs> I know, be seated just for a moment. I know that some of our students may be thinking that they have to wait until they grow up to be used of God. But I'm going to say in the words of Brother Adam Faulkner in this pulpit a few weeks ago, if you're old enough to be tempted, you're old enough to be anointed. You're not the church of tomorrow, but you're the church of right now. Some of our students need to grab a hold of what I'm preaching today. Some of our students need to grab a hold of a patchwork of mantles. Somebody needs to get a hold of something today and hold on to it for dear life and declare, I want to be used of God. I may never be in a pulpit, but I want to be anointed. I want to be an anointed altar worker. I want to be an anointed, I want to be anointed when I teach a Bible study. I want to be anointed when I work in a Sunday school room. I want to be anointed when I'm ministering to young people. I want to be anointed. Grab a hold of it. Cling to it to dear life. You don't have to wait to be used of God. You can be used of God right now. In 1974, pastor of a little country church pulled into his driveway with his car overheating. When he tried to check out the problem, a radiator hose on that car violently exploded, blowing boiling water down the pastor's side and leg. Blisters immediately formed. The pain was undoubtedly excruciating. His little seven-year-old son walked into the room where his father was, breathing in pain. He had cut the leg off of his pants that he was in because he couldn't allow anything to touch it because of the pain. Blisters had appeared. That little seven-year-old Holy Ghost-filled child walked in and said, Dad, God can heal you and take away the pain. That dad said to his young son, I know that he can. Would you pray for me? 
that little seven-year-old boy walked over to his dad and laid his hand on his dad's head and in his own little childlike words said, God, heal my dad. Take away the pain. And immediately, every pain, I'm going to give you verified stories this morning, every pain immediately left that father's body. That pastor stood up and told his family, get dressed because we're going to camp meeting tonight. That pastor went to camp meeting that night and drove home. And when he got home and got ready for bed, every blister on, the, on that leg was gone. There were no pain. There was no blisters. Because of the faith of a seven-year-old child. Come on, elders. We got to find some children that we place mantles on and teach them we believe in your prayers. Listen, students, you don't have to wait. The anointing is on you now. God can use you right now. I was so blessed to grow up in a wonderful home, to have a great man of God as a father. He's not a scholar, doesn't claim to be. He's not a prophet, doesn't claim to be. He's not a great orator, and he doesn't claim to be. But my father loves people, and he knew how to build a church from nothing. He gave himself to the work of ministry. My memories of house-to-house prayer meetings sparked the vision to duplicate them in this church. It's just a small piece of my dad's mantle, and I still carry my dad's mantle. For the marks of extreme faith, sacrifice at levels that I'm not sure that I'll ever be able to live up to. He walked into a church that was literally under construction with no money and no people. Six people, one lady and her five kids. A broken down, unfinished building because the old building had burned without insurance. The old building was nothing to look at. It had open stud walls, nothing finished. Half of the ceiling is missing with no insulation, no drywall. They put four or five pieces of paneling behind the platform so that it looked nice for people to look up to. No doors. They just barely got by. The old building was on piers and blocks. It had unfinished pine boards in the floor. You could look through them. I have vivid memories of looking through into the ground beneath that that floor. There were spaces between the floorboards, and you could look down old rough pine floors, large holes big enough that you could see a chicken or a dog that would run under the, the old church that set up in the air, how they built them back then to try to escape the heat of the Texas sun. There were old homemade wooden benches that would snag and tear my childhood clothing. I remember my mom saying, no, not again. When, a, when, when some of my clothes in those days, I remember the first time that they bought padded pews for the church. That's right. That's my heritage. That's my heritage. Oh, but we had revival. Oh, but we had revival. And the glory of God would meet us in that old church. I remember church services on Sunday night that would last to midnight, but Dad would preach and the people would pray and we would worship and we didn't have a clock in the room. All we were worried about was the glory of God coming down. I recall some of those services 
like it was yesterday. No, I don't want to go back to those old buildings and old pews. I don't want to go back to that. But every time I go through a church service that I don't feel like we gave it everything we had, I look back to that old landmark. I go back to that old place and say, God, whatever it takes to get us to where we will seek your face, we're willing to do it. The church grew. Miracles happened. Things happened that blew people's minds. Word of it spread all around the neighborhoods and the communities. I remember a man that begged for money on a roadside intersection in a little community, nothing there but two or three houses and an intersection, a little community called Bronson, Texas, a community about seven miles from the church where my father pastored. We drove through there every week. We drove through and would see that man standing with his pan. I always looked for him. I'd see him when we went by. He was deaf. He couldn't hear. And he was dumb that he could not speak or mute that he could not speak. He stood there weekly begging for his living. My dad would occasionally stop in and give him money for food. And he would hand him a little handwritten note. I remember pulling over and dad writing a note or my mom writing a note, giving it to my dad. So they could hand it to the man telling him Jesus loves you and you need to come and be with us in church. God can heal you. Years passed until one night we were in revival and he came to that revival service where evangelist Charlie Branham, Charles Branham was preaching. I didn't know this until yesterday. Charlie Branham was one of T.L. Smith's brothers in the gospel. Brother Branham laid hands on that deaf mute man and God instantly healed him. I was in the service when it happened. I was there when God opened his ears. I was there when the man spoke his first word. It's no wonder revival happened because people heard about what went on. That's where we come from. This is our heritage. We are a one God, apostolic, Jesus' name, Holy Ghost living, separated living, miracle-believing church. I grew up hearing stories about miracles, but the ones that I lived through were the ones that impact me the most. I've shared stories that my dad has told. I've shared them with you throughout the ages, but the ones that have impacted me the most were the ones that as a child, I was there when it happened. One writer wrote a song, I was there when it happened, so I guess I ought to know. I'm telling you some stories that I lived through, some things that I experienced. It was in the early 1970s, and there was severe drought. One of the main ladies in our church, Sister Loggins, and her unsaved husband, Horace Loggins, they made their living by selling goods at Rebecca Grocery in front of their house, a tiny little store out in the country. And they had a little chicken house or a large chicken house by my standard behind the house, behind the store and kind of on the front side of the house. They sold vegetables out of the garden that they raised in the front side of that house. <laughs> every Saturday, I'm sorry, every Saturday as far back as I can remember, my dad would stop by and he would visit the Logginses. And dad would invite Mr. Horace Loggins to church. One day while on visitation, Sister Loggins said, Pastor, we are in severe drought. I look out at the garden 
fall, everything wilted. All the vegetables were wilted. Everything was dying. She said, Pastor, if we don't get rain in the next day or two, we're going to lose our entire garden, which was the major source of their income. Everything revolved around that large garden out beside their house. My dad, without ever missing a beat, without ever thinking twice, there was no cloud in the sky, there was no forecast of rain, but my faith-filled father looked at her and said to, to her and her unsaved husband, it will rain before the sun goes down tonight. <laughs> my dad drove four miles to the church. He walked in the church and went to prayer asking God for rain. He said that evening some clouds formed over the church, but there was no rain that fell, and he become a little nervous. But right before sundown, not at the church, not down the road anywhere, not four miles to the church, not two miles at the intersection of Highway 96 and 103, but it rained right where the man of God said it was going to rain, and it rained on that garden, not just a little bit, but it downpoured on the garden, and it saved the garden. And the miracle happened and people heard about it. And there was, there was people saved because of it. Come on, church. I grew up hearing these stories. I wanted a piece of that mantle. Troubles came. Hardships came. But dad stuck it out through thick and thin and carved out a church. It's just a few pieces of the mantle that I carry today. Elisha prayed for a double portion. I didn't read my text because I knew I had so far to go today. I'm trying to save as much time as possible. Elisha prayed for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And Elijah said to Elisha, keep your eyes on me. And if you see me when I'm called away, it can happen. And that's exactly what Elisha had done. Listen, elders, respectfully, I know you're busy. I know you have other things to do. I know you feel like you've already paid your price, and you have. But we've got to slow down and allow some Elisha's face to walk beside us. That ought to have got an ovation from our elders in the house. I didn't just come with a message today because I heard somebody else preaching. The Lord gave me this message in August. I thought this was the theme for our entire conference. I went and said, I feel the theme for our conference is old mantles for a new generation. Everybody in the room looked at me like I had lost my mind. They didn't understand it. Later on, I was saying, God, I need a message to preach. And the Lord said, I gave you a message, not a theme. I blocked every message that's been, that's been preached about mantle long before I heard about them being preached. God had already put this in my spirit. I was in Sister Cheryl's office when Brother Tim Gaddy began to preach at, at because of the times this year. And he started talking about mantles. I walked out of the office as soon as I saw him preaching. And I walked over to the north building and busied myself. Brother Nate uh, was 
Jesus was in a room the other night and heard me as I told some of our young ministers what I was preaching today. And he shared that on Facebook and he sent it to me. And I said, I'm not watching it. I'm not looking at it because I wanted to save it so it would be fresh for you. But I'm coming this morning to tell somebody that God sent me with a word for this congregation. I don't. I understand my assignment this morning. This building's not filled with people from all over. We have a few guests from other places. God bless you. But I feel like this word is for this church. We have got to slow down and spend some time for our elders to invest in our younger. we got to have some elders that are investing in our children, some elders investing in our young people. Brother, Brother Gilliland and Sister Gilliland are doing a great job, but they can't do it by themselves. Their youth team are doing a great job, but they can't do it by themselves. Brother Chad and his team are doing a great job with Hyphen and the young adults, but he can't do it by himself. we got to have some elders that come alongside some younger folks uh, and say, come on, I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to teach you how it's done. I'm going to bring you what I have, and I'm going to put it on your shoulders. We can't neglect the younger generation. They need you. And the elder, listen, whether you know it or not, you need them. Because without the next generation, everything we've worked so hard to build will be lost. We are only one generation away from extinction. We're only one generation away from losing our heritage. Oh, I wish God, I wish that God would just get something in some elder spirit this morning that you would say, I refuse to let this go. There is, I'm passing this. My kids are going to know. My grandkids are going to know. And not just my kids and grandkids, but I'm going to adopt a few in this room. I'm going to pick up a few in this room. I saw Sister Newcomer in the front of this room with these kids every week. Keep on investing. Keep on teaching them. It's all right to worship. They get a little unruly once in a while. She has to steal them back in place. Uh, our teachers go in those classrooms. I'm sure they'd rather be in here, but they're investing. Come on, we need some investors. We need some elders. We need some investors. I know you get tired. I understand that someone may have made you feel like you're not needed or wanted, but that's a lie of Satan. I know some of you feel like you don't have anything to offer, but that's another lie of Satan. I know some of you feel like you're done, you're over the hill and washed up, but that's another lie of Satan. I came this morning to try to inspire some elders to get up from where you are and declare there's a little something more I can do. I'm going to adopt me some kids into my life. I'm going to pick up some children in my life. I'm going to go into my neighborhood if I have to. I'm going to come to church and find some kids and say, come on over to my house today. Come on, I'm going to invest in you today. Come on, we got to have some elders that are willing. I want every elder man or woman to hear me today for every Elijah there is and Elisha that needs you. Listen, ladies, for every Naomi, there is a Ruth that doesn't want to leave you, but they're afraid to approach you. You've got to go to them and let them know I'm here for you. 
Elisha wasn't at a conference. Elisha wasn't knocking on Elijah's door. But Elisha was being faithful and working in a field when Elijah came running to where Elijah was. He's working in a field. Come on, work your way. I can teach you how. Elijah came to Elisha and he put the mantle over his shoulders. He's working in a field. He comes and puts the mantle over his shoulders. Not while he's at a conference. Not while he's showing up in a field. While he's working in a field. Listen, Elisha didn't choose his assignment. Elijah chose trying to talk to some elders in the building. And Elijah saw a young man working in a field. Elisha was being faithful, doing what he did every day. When Elijah runs over to him, says, here, son, come on, get your best ready. Don't let anybody tell you, young person, young adult, middle-ager, don't let anybody tell you that your faithfulness, labor, and work in the kingdom of God is for nothing. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Hurry up here, Brother Danny. Run like you're young. Just because you look young doesn't mean you are. I know how old those knees are. I know you get tired. I see you on the drums back there. I've heard you say, I don't want to be on those drums. It's time for me to do something else. And then the need is there. I watch you and I go back and you sit down. But then I watch. I I watch your your young Elisha. I watch your young Elisha as he comes. Run up here. Run up here to me. Run up here. Quick as you can. I watch your your, your young Elisha as he goes and sits down. And sometimes when he's playing, I have to look around to see if it's you or see if it's Elisha. Because Elijah has invested enough. Elijah has told Elisha, watch, watch this lick. Let me show you how this is done. That's how an Elijah and an Elisha get along. I've never one time heard him speak negative of the Elisha that's coming behind him. I've never one time heard him say he thinks he's something. He's getting too good. He needs to sit down. Never once I hear him say, did you hear how he played today? Did you hear what he did today? Because Elijah loves Elisha and is inspired by what he's invested being multiplied. Stay up here, Brother Danny. Stay up here, Brother Danny. Stay up here. Be seated just for a moment. Don't let anybody tell you your faithfulness and your investment is overlooked. Come on, elders, you're not done. There's an Elisha laboring in the field that's waiting for you to invest in them. They just need you to put your mantle on them. Listen, it didn't mean that Elijah had lost his anointing. It didn't mean that Elisha had lost his anointing because Elijah, because but it didn't mean that Elijah had lost his anointing because he placed a mantle. 
on Elisha because the anointing of Elijah stayed until the Lord took him. Don't worry about somebody taking your place. God will open a new door for you. <laughs> I wish I had this water in a cup. Gentry shared an illustration with me I wish I could do today. I wish this was a cup. I don't have a cup. It's okay. Don't get one. He said, I saw this. The preacher held that cup and took his finger. And he put that, his finger down in that. Put your finger in it. This is your ministry with you in it. And this is your ministry without you in it. The moment you're not in it, there's no hole left. I know I can't fully illustrate it, only those that really paid attention caught that. We can't get lifted up in who we are. We can't feel like we own the show. We can't feel like there was a time when I, I, I made a big mistake in my life one time when I thought I was going to affect what God was doing and God showed me the kingdom of God moves on with me or without me. Listen, I'm quickly closing. But it was important for Elisha to know that he had an elder that chose him. And one succession. I'm talking to our elders in the room today. It's important to these younger folks. It's, in, it's important to these young marrieds and young adults and students and children. It's important to them to know that you care enough chose them out of everybody else and that you are invested in them. I'm asking all of those who have been serving the Lord 25 years or longer, I want you to stand. Everybody that's been serving the Lord for 25 years or longer, I want you to stand. Young people, I want you to look around you. I want you to take a moment, look around you. Now listen to me. I'm calling them elders, although some are much, much younger than me. They're not elders in age, but some of them are elders in spirit. Look around you. Listen to me. These elders are not over the hill. They don't need to step aside. Their ways are not antiquated. But they carry a mantle of experience that you need in your life. And you need to keep your eyes on them. Elijah said, what would you ask? And Elisha said, I want a double portion. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a big thing to ask. You'll keep your eyes. Keep your eyes on your elder. And if you're with me and if you've got your eyes on me until I depart, God's going to grant you that double portion. Listen, new convert. Listen, young person.
You've got to keep your eyes on people that know how to walk. I randomly chose 25 because there's nothing significant about it except they probably qualify to be an elder for most of us. They've been through ups and downs, thicks and thins. I know you think they've got it all figured out, but they probably walked through marital chaos, financial chaos. They probably walked through struggles that they, they're not going to tell you about every struggle, but they're going to speak wisdom, and you're going to say, I wonder how you got so smart. I sat in my house a while back. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. A young lady looked at me, and she said, Pastor, how'd you get so wise? Sister Chelsea Oh, I'm sorry. Because I've been through a few things. I've walked through some dark days. And when I see somebody walking through those dark days, I come alongside you and tell you a thing or two about some of these dark days. Listen, that's why these elders are standing in the room right now. That's why I'm inviting you to look around because you need to be looking around saying, who can I? Who can I trust in this room? These, these are some folks that can be trusted. It, they, it may not seem significant to you today. There's going to be a day that you're going to need to call someone. So building that relationship matters. Now watch, watch, watch. Everybody in the room can stand together now. Elijah chose Elisha. He goes to Elisha. That's the job of the elder. To go find, to go find him and Elisha. Place his mantle on that Elisha. That's the only job of the elder is to choose and to walk faithfully. But he gave Elisha two things that Elisha had to do. Did Elisha? You want that double portion? I want that double portion. This is what you got to do. You got to keep your eyes on them. That's the first thing you got to do. These elders don't need to run to you and have to call you and check on you. Let me tell you, as your pastor, let me just say this right now. I'm available to anybody in this room, but if you think I'm going to live on your doorstep, knocking on your door, asking you what's wrong, I would be spending all of my time trying to work out everything. But if you need me, I answer my phone, I respond to text messages and emails, and I'll get back with you, I'll meet with you, I'll pray for you. But Elisha, it's your job. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on the elder. Elisha, you keep your eyes on the elder. The second thing that Elisha had to do, when he saw his man of God taken away up into a whirlwind, he said, you got your eyes on me. When you see it go, you can have that double portion. While Elisha's standing there looking up, trying to figure out what's going on. There's chariots and whirlwinds and fire. And out of nowhere, all of a sudden, there was a mantle that fell. Uh, 
Elisha had a choice to make. Elisha had a choice to make. He could stay right where he was. Oh, I wish it would have fallen on me. I've heard preachers preach the mantle's falling on you. Don't find it in Scripture. But what I find is their mantle's fallen. But Elisha, if you want the double portion, you got to go to where the mantle is. And you got to pick it up. That's it, Brother Evan. You got to pick up the mantle. There's mantles falling. There's mantles falling in the room. But you got to make up your mind. I want to carry the mantle. I know it doesn't seem too significant to you today. I want you to throw out some mantles. I believe that there are anointings and mantles and revelations that have laid laid unclaimed because the generation that walked in them never passed them on. But I'm trying to demonstrate before you today, I believe it is possible for us to recover some old mantles, some old anointings. Don't throw it to them. Don't throw it to them. If you want it, you got to come get it. That's what's wrong with this generation. you got to make up your mind, I want it. I want it bad enough to come and get it. It's available. Elisha had to come and get it. And when the mantle fell, Elisha ran to where he was and he picked it up. There's some old mantles falling this morning in the house. Don't just walk up here and pick up one of these towels that we had printed. But I want you to pick it up and I want you to cherish it. I want you to grab a hold of it. I want you to declare, I want what I want what my elders had. I want to be connected to this heritage. I want to be connected to this heritage. I want to be connected. I want to be connected. I want some of our ministers, pastoral team, I want you to go lay hands on folks in this room. Your elders this morning, regardless of your age, I want you to lay hands on people this morning. I want you to lay hands on them and and speak, pray over them right now. Come on, the mantle of God has fallen in the house. What can you pick up? I want to pick up their faith. I want to pick up their passion. I want to pick up I want to pick up their mantle of prayer. I want to pick up their mantle of faithfulness. Come on elders, I need you to go find somebody. Come on elders, I need you to go choose somebody. I want you to grab one of these mantles. They may already have one. Go put another one on them. It's a patchwork. It's a patchwork. There's something you have that somebody else doesn't. I want you to go place your hands on them. Not just our children, but young adults. Not just our young adults, but young marriage. Not just our young marriage, but new converts. I want you to find people to lay hands on and pray for right now. I know it's out of your nature. I understand it. But Elijah, I need you this morning. I need you. Your work's not done today. work's not done today. 
There's some things that can't be taught. It's got to be caught. You've got to grab hold of it today. You've got to catch what I'm preaching today. You've got to pick this up. You're going to have to catch it today. There's some old things. Uh, there's some old things that's been laying around, laying dormant. Faithfulness, worship, prayer, sacrifice, giving. Come on, pick up the old mantle. Pick up the old mantle. Yes. Yes. Come on, elders. Step forward and lay hands on somebody today. came the double portion. That's where the double portion came. But he had to keep his eye on Elijah. He had to go and pick it up. It's available to you today. Keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on him. Go and pick it up. Double portions, double portions, double portions. some Elijah's praying for Elisha's. We need some Naomi's praying for some Ruth's.
God today. Let's talk to the Lord right now. Don't just let this fade. Don't just let this fade. for boldness I pray for passion yes 